From KBOO in Portland, Oregon, this is Religion for Life, religionforlife.com. I'm John Schock. I'm continuing my series, Islam 101, Meet Your Muslim Neighbor. Um, so in a way, you want to laugh it off, but then you know you have to address it. Yeah. Um, and it's better if, if as a Muslim community or as a Muslim individual, I address it than somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about and just feeds into those stereotypes and feeds into those misunderstandings. And then the rift between people grows, right? And the rift between cultures and understanding grows. And then we have issues like these types of ideas about, you know, banning all Muslims from the U.S. or, or you know, just segregating people or whatever it is. I began this series in response to ignorance and fear. I think we can do better than to remain in cocoons of prejudice. There are loud voices, even voices of powerful people, billionaires who entertain themselves by running for president, who traffic in Islamophobia. There are other voices, however. These voices are even more powerful. These are the voices of real people who tell the truth of their lives. These are the voices of Americans who make up our quilt of diversity. They work as Americans, they raise their families as Americans, they laugh as Americans, they cry as Americans, they worship as Americans. This series of programs is called Islam 101, Meet Your Muslim Neighbor, because we all need to get to know our neighbors better. I'm grateful for my guests who are sharing what it means to be Muslim and American. So far, I've spoken with scholars or official spokespeople, and so far, all have been men. Today, I want to introduce you to Manar Alatar. Manar is a Ph.D. student at Portland State University in the School of the Environment. She volunteers at her mosque with youth. She's with me to talk about being a Muslim, a woman, and an American. Welcome, Manar, to Religion for Life. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little about yourself, uh, your studies, and your interests. Oh, a little bit about myself. Um, I'm a Palestinian-American. My dad's a Palestinian immigrant. He came here uh, for school and met my mom, who's Caucasian-American, uh, born and raised in uh, in the South in North Carolina. And um, so I was born in, in the South in North Carolina and then moved out to Portland about 16, 17 years ago. Um, in terms of my um, academic interests, I'm a PhD student now at Portland State University. I have... Um, a bachelor's and master's degree in biology with um, a minor in psychology and sustainability. Um, and those are really my interests are expanding on that in the educational field. So I'm a teacher. I taught at Portland Community College for about two and a half, three years. I taught at a, um, the Oregon Islamic Academy for a year. Um, and so I really love to bring science into the classroom and really connect with students around science. Um, and so both my research interests and my studies now are to continue that. So my PhD looks at student engagement in food diversion, which means the basically the decrease in food waste. Um, mm. So we go into the cafeteria at Portland State University and we engage with students around portioning, around health, in terms of nutritional health and around food waste and what's that what that's in doing doing to our environment our economy and our social systems have you had a chance to go back to uh, palestine uh so we visited for three weeks when i was four years old um and i don't remember a lot i remember the candy store which <laughs> is an important part of a kid's life and i remember my grandmother um May Allah have mercy on her. Um, and then we went mm. back when I was 19 and when I was 21. Um, so I really enjoyed both of those experiences because I was able to not only connect with my dad's family, 
who are awesome and amazing, but also connect with the place and the culture. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of turmoil that's you know occurs over time and over decades, um, especially in Gaza where we're from. And to see the resilience of people and to see the strength of the people and to see how positive they were, uh-huh. um, especially in uh. 2009, we went right after a war. And there was physical destruction around, but the people were not destroyed. The people were strong. And to see that and to be able to learn and benefit from that was really, really amazing. So I so, really enjoyed that. Wow. So, so there you see, you saw uh, hope there I when saw, you were in Gaza. I saw and, more than hope. More than hope. I saw strength. Uh-huh. I saw this motivation to go on and to continue to work out of the rubble. Um, so in 2009, it was actually really touching for me personally as a scientist. When we went to the University of Gaza, the science building had been demolished. Hmm. And when we went back in 2011, it had already been like rebuilt, not completely, but they were working on it. And so to see this just constant rebuilding, and it's something that we can learn just in our personal lives. We're always faced with challenges. They might be small challenges. They might be large challenges. They might be, you know, an exam that's coming up in a week or, you know, uh, an exam that I have to give as an Uh instructor. Um, And to just remember that just to keep on going, to make the best of the situation, to keep on, you know, bringing the positive out of any situation that you have. Because if there are people in these, you know, very, very difficult situations and they can see positive and they can see regrowth and they can see rebuilding, then even in our little tiny minor difficulties that we have, we, we really do have that capacity and that ability um, and so that that was amazing. So. Now you work uh, with uh, youth in your mosque. Uh, uh-huh. Tell me about your mosque. Yeah. Um, so my mosque is um, the the largest mosque in the Portland area. It's amazing. Um, there are also other many many amazing mosques around us, and we have a lot of collaboration between of them. Um, so it's it's really a beautiful Muslim community in this area. Um, I love the diversity, um, and I think that's one of the things that I love most about the mosques that we have, not only ours, but but other mosques as well, is this wonderful diversity. Hmm. Um, we have people from so many different cultures and so many different countries, um, both immigrants, children's of, children of in- immigrants, children of children of immigrants, you know, right. and so all these generations, um, all these different languages that are spoken, people that speak many different languages, um, and just this beauty, sometimes it even comes out in the colors that people wear, you know, this beauty of culture and color and languages that come together, but we come together on an equal understanding of here we are worshiping God, the oneness of God, trying to understand the example of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, who was sent by God. And so really coming together on that, it's it's very, very beautiful to see that unity in diversity. Hmm. Um, And I would say that's, that's my favorite part of being at a mosque in America. I think many mosques in America have that, that characteristic and it's very beautiful. So how many mosques are there in Portland? A dozen or so? Are there that many? I would say, um, I would say probably that many. Yeah. And, of and, different and, sizes in different locations around around the city. And what are some of the distinctions from the various countries that people are from, or would there be religious distinctions? You, you know, um, when we look at the 
culture of what a mosque is. Yeah. It's a place where people can go and do their worship, um, their five daily prayers, their Friday prayers, and it's a place for community to be built. So a lot of times it's based on locality. The, the more mosques you can have in various localities, the more you can have people able to connect with a, a Muslim community center. Um, so it can be difficult if you just have a couple of mosques and people have to travel out to them. Right. Whereas it's much easier to have neighborhood mosques where people can go to um, and be closer to and and just have an ease of access. So I said I would say that's one piece um, is people having mosques in their localities so that they can um, you know engage with with each other and and really be part of that that scene of worship and community. Um, you will see distinctions in you know cultural backgrounds. Sometimes you will see a mosque that tends to be a majority of one cultural background or another. And that makes sense because, you know, you tend to have a culture that you bring with you in terms of how you run uh, Quran schools, for example, or how you tend to have different types of lectures or what lecture, what language those lectures are in. Mm -hmm. um, and so that can also be uh, a unifying piece. Um, but, you know, there's there's a lot of variation within mosques and between mosques as well. So You're listening to Religion for Life. My guest is Manar Alatar. She's a Ph.D. student at Portland State University. How do you pronounce the name of your mosque? It's called the Islamic Center of Portland or Masjid al-Sabr, which means the Mosque of Patience. The Mosque um, of Patience. Yeah. So, you know, it tends to... How did to the name come about? I actually don't know. Oh, okay. That's a good question. <laughs> um, but the mosque has been around for, for over 20 years. It's, um, you know, it started in a smaller location just on the street from where we are. Yeah, you're in southwest then, Portland. Right, in southwest Portland. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Um, off, right off of Capitol Highway on Alfred and 43rd. Um, and so then we moved to a larger mosque around when I came to Portland in 1999. And you work with the youth there. Uh -huh. Tell me a little bit about uh, the atmosphere uh, of the mosque and the youth and, and what you do there. Yeah, we... Um in general, it's really encouraged for the mosque to be a, a community scene and a family scene. Mm -hmm. So when we're here, when we're um, at the mosque for lectures, for gatherings, for Friday prayers, there are a lot of different generations, different ages, different types of, of you know, people. And so to see the kids in the mosque is really, really important. And to allow the kids to engage in that community and come together is also important and essential. And since as you know a kind of a minority category these kids are sometimes being exposed or experiencing some difficulties with what is their identity how do they deal with some of the questions that come up at school or some of the cultural clashes that happen either at school between them and and somebody at school or even within their own house, you know, mm -hmm. they're, they're growing up in the U.S. and maybe their parents didn't or their grandparents didn't. And so having a place where they can really voice their concerns or just talk about them in a really safe environment is super important. So we have a number of ver of different um, programs for the, the youth. And the one the main one that I help with is called Al-Mu'mina Day. And Al-Mu'mina means young or it means um, Muslim woman. And so it's kind of like Young Muslim Women's Day. Um, okay. And so we meet once a month. 
uh, for a whole day from like 3.30 um, till 7 p.m. And the girls get together and they get to, you know, kind of engage on various levels. We have lectures, we have discussions, we have activities. Um, and what we'll do is we'll choose a theme for the month. And whatever that theme is, all of those different activities and lectures will kind of follow into that. Um, so, for example, our theme coming up this month is Boys and Girls and Marriage. Ah, okay. Um, well, well, that should be pop. Uh, that should be widely attended, I would it guess. It is. It is a very popular <laughs> one. Um, so hopefully we'll have some fun with that. And we built up to that with discussions around confidence, with discussions around um, identity and stuff like that in our previous months. Um, and then this will be our, our next step. And then we'll probably do a career month afterwards where we talk about colleges, applying to colleges, uh, careers, all of that as well. Well, if you don't mind, let's talk about women and Islam. One of the stereotypes that non-Muslims have about Islam is that it is oppressive to women. How, in your view, is Islam empowering to women? Right. Um, so Islam is a really beautiful religion. And if mm -hmm. we, we look at Islam in its essence, it really teaches the empowering of all all different types of people, especially minorities. Mm -hmm. So any place where you go and you see that there's somebody who is not given their full rights or is not given their, you know, you know, first class citizen, really, um, Islam teaches that we have to assist that person or help that person or bring them up. And that in in and of itself that that person is at that place is in injustice and God doesn't allow for injustice. He didn't allow it for himself and he doesn't allow it for those who he created. Um, and so that's just in general, Islam really is an uplifting religion wherever, for what, whichever person it is. And specifically in, in regards to women, Islam came to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him from God into a community and a society that had a lot of stereotypes, a lot of discretions against women. Um, so women were treated as second or third or fourth or fifth class citizens. They were not given their due rights. They were not given their due rights in terms of financial, in terms of marriage, in terms of just being in society, in terms of education. Um, there were, were a, lot of, a lot of mistreatment of women. There was a lot of mistreatment of women at that time to the point where female infanticide was actually widely promoted and spread. And that is when a baby is born, once they realize that the gender is, is a female, then they consider that a disgrace to the community. And that female is, or, or that baby is often buried. And so that's a, just a horrible, horrible, atrocious practice. And one of the first things that was addressed was actually that practice. And so there's beautiful verses in the Quran addressing specifically burying baby girls and addressing that. And, and there's this one, one verse where it describes the day of judgment as the day where the baby girl that was buried alive comes forth in front of God and asks what... Um, sin did she commit to be buried or, or um, treated this way? And so like just that testimony mm. in front of God, that God on the day of judgment will hear from this baby, this infant, a couple days old, and will make that case so large that now it's saved and it's preserved in the Quran for people to know about 
for all of man, for all of of humanity, for all of time, right? And so that that sanctity of life and that sanctity of the female life was something that was addressed very, very early on. And so there were a lot of rulings around um, rights in marriage, rights to inheritance, which wasn't something that was given to women, rights to their own financial wealth, um, rights to within marriage to be taken care of financially, to be taken care of emotionally. Um, So that's a huge, huge part of our religion. Hmm. Now I say that and you say there's a stereotype against Islam that says Mm -hmm. otherwise. And I acknowledge that unfortunately there is an issue with culture and with religion and with misunderstanding of religion, that is an issue. And so there are cultures in which women are mistreated and it's attributed to Islam. But there are cultures around the world where women are mistreated and it's not a Muslim country also. Right. Right. And so these are situations where a lot of times it's ignorance or it's a cultural, um, you know, misfortune, you might call it, that's being attributed to something that has nothing of that, that isn't and shouldn't be accused of that, which is the religion of Islam. And it's something that we have to address as Muslims because we have to be more aware and more understanding of the example of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, who was kind, who was generous, who was known as trustworthy even before he received his first message or revelation, who loved his wives and cared for them and and had this deep, beautiful relationship that we see in the traditions that have been relayed to us from him through his companions and through his life story. And so when we become more aware of that and we start implementing that more meaningfully and and carefully in our lives, then that will bring us closer to his example and closer to the pleasure of God. And it's something that we we will, we hopefully are all working towards in our communities, hopefully. Yeah, it's a beautiful explanation. Uh, and Islam, as you mentioned right at the beginning of our conversation, is, is about the unity and the equality that people have amidst their difference. Yes, yes. And from what you've said and from what I've read about Muhammad, peace be upon him, is that he was a prophet of social justice and uh, of equality, bringing people up. And somehow uh, along the way, uh, perhaps his message uh, was distorted by some. Right, right, exactly. And, you know, we see this in in, uh, a lot of different settings where people have some sort of misinterpretation or sometimes agenda, political or social may it be, Mm -hmm. and they need something to tie it to to give it strength. You know, and so religion, whether it be Islam or other religions, often can be that pillar that you can tie some sort of, you know, political, um, political, you know, gain or whatever to to give it strength. And so that's unfortunate. And to begin to tease out that and separate what's real true religion and what's real true truth from those things is really important. And I think that's one of the beauties of the Muslim community in the U.S. is because since we come from so many different cultural backgrounds, so many different, you know, countries, so many different, you know, understandings or misunderstandings of religion and culture and all of that, then really in our mosques, we were forced to, in a really beautiful way, tease out what is religion, what is not, what is 
positive culture and, you know, positive culture that can be, you know, practiced within religion and what is not and should be put aside. And so I think that's another really beautiful thing that happens at our mosques as well here. So what about uh, youth? Are are there generational uh, divides between how uh, young people will connect with Islam? I know in Christianity, I mean, it's it's, it's a big change. I mean, the, the rise of the nuns, as they call it here, those not affiliated with religion, with a lot of younger people. Is that is there a similar thing with uh, youth uh, that you work with? Mm-hmm. You know, it really depends on the individual, and it really depends sure. on the community that they come from and the background. It's since there's so many different vari- variables, um, you know, it really it really can vary. Um, so I see different trends. I see trends of youth that struggle a lot with their identity and really find comfort in the mosque and in Islam and in the unity that it brings between those identities. Mm-hmm. And that is basically my story. You know, I come okay. from a different, yeah. many different identities. I come from this, you know, Palestinian identity, American identity, being raised as a minority in the U.S., um, you know, all of these identities coming t- together, a scientist, a, a woman. Um, and I really, I find that Islam allows peace between all of those different identities. Mm. And so I find a lot of comfort in that. Um, there are people, though, that still struggle a lot with those identities and find Islam as another identity that they still have to balance out with all these other things, and it becomes a struggle for them. And so there are people that come f- closer and further from religion as part of that that path or that journey. Um, and some people have a really difficult time. And so, you know, it's different for different communities, and it also depends on the support that you have. Um, do you have a strong support system at home that understands you and what you're going through, which can become an issue if there are generational gaps or cultural gaps at home, or do you not? Mm. Um and do you have people and friends around you that can help kind of identify and, and kind of figure out that territory or do you not? And that's also an important piece. And some people do and some people don't have that support. It sounds to me like uh, in your mosque and in your teaching and your work with the youth that you allow a great space for them to be able to ask these questions for themselves rather than kind of provide the answer maybe. Is that is that? We, we hope to and we try to. Uh-huh. Um, and it's something that we definitely have to negotiate um, because there are so many different um, ideas of what is right and what is not right. Um, and so we really try very hard to give these girls the space that they need to to think about these things and kind of identify and discuss and figure things out. Um, so that that's really our goal. All right. Yeah. You're listening to Religion for Life. I'm John Schuck. I'm doing a series on Islam 101, Meet Your Muslim Neighbor, and my guest is Manar Alatar, Ph.D. student at Portland State University. How does Islam uh, connect with your work as a scientist uh, and ecology? Is there, is there a connection point between Islam and science? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, they're def- definitely different realms, religion and science. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're amazing. And, and both of them should be respected in their, you know, in their kind of spheres. Um, 
but they do definitely connect to one another and they do inform one another. And so one of the biggest things that we're taught in Islam is, first of all, the oneness of God. God is the one, the only one that we worship, the, the one who created us, the one who created everything around us. And to be able to connect with him in his amazingness and his greatness, we really need to understand who he is and what he's done for us. And to be able to look around in the scientific world and look around at his miracles is part of that connection. So even in the Quran, the Quran often talks about the people who sit and contemplate on the c creation of God. The mm -hmm. people who are looking around them at the creation of God and say, oh God, you have not create this, created this without purpose. And then they praise him and they glorify him, right? So to be able to look at something as, as large as this beautiful ecosystem that's working together to this tiny, minute little mitochondria, for example, that's doing all these wonderful cellular respiration processes, right? Mm -hmm. um, to see that and to see the organization and the complexity that God has given to us and to see the blessings that he's put around us um, is just part of being aware of him and knowing him and strengthening your relationship with him. And so, so I see I see a great connection there. Yeah, it sounds like uh, your scientific endeavors are, are uh, an expression of spirituality in some way. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. <laughs> Let's um, uh, want to get to a, kind of a touchy subject, not a touchy subject, but a, an unpleasant subject, uh, Islamophobia. We've uh, examples at the national level. We Our famous presidential candidate uh, wanting to stop all Muslim travel to the United States. Have you or your youth, uh, what do you think? Did you just laugh this stuff off? Or, or is this serious in a sense as well? Oh, yeah, it is very serious, and it's something that's really hard to deal with because mm -hmm. on the one hand, um, you know, you have all of these misunderstandings and stereotypes that are not what you are as a Muslim, and right. they don't um, represent your religion. And so there's that aspect, but then you also know that if you address them and you deal with them and you, you try to open up those conversations, um, then you can get closer to a better understanding of you, yourself, your religion, and having people kind of connect with you on that in a, in a more meaningful way and a more correct way. Um, so in a way, you want to laugh it off, but then you know you have to address it. Yeah. Um, and it's better if if as a Muslim community or as a Muslim individual, I address it than somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about and just feeds into those stereotypes and feeds into those misunderstandings. And then the rift between people grows, right? And the rift between cultures and understanding grows. And then we have issues like these types of ideas about, you know, banning all Muslims from the U.S. or, or you know, just segregating people or whatever it is. Um, and so it's something that definitely has to be dealt with. Um, in, the, in Portland, thankfully, we don't have a lot of issues with outright, you know, Islamophobic messages, uh, comments, or actions, generally mm -hmm. speaking, generally speaking, although there are always exceptions. Um, in other places in the U.S., you might find more of that. In other places of the, in the world, people might be exposed to even more of that as well. And then we have the double-edged internet and social sphere, right. social media sphere as well, um, where sometimes these issues come up as well. And so as Muslims, as Muslim, Muslim Americans, it's definitely something that we try to address in a meaningful and respectful way. And 
it's really about choosing your battles because sometimes mm. you have an issue or a comment where you can you can really understand that a short brief message and then just moving away from that conversation is probably best for everyone. And then you have conversations in which you can see that even if the person seems to be upset or angry, um, they are coming from a place of trying to understand. Um, and I would say that's the most common, that's the most common type of, you know, comments or questions or feedback that I get is people really coming from a place of trying to understand, mm -hmm. being perplexed, being confused, but trying to understand what's the truth. And even if they come to you in anger, then you can still try to de-escalate that and have that conversation. And generally speaking, people don't come to you angry. They come to you, you know, respectfully. They usually start curious, off- Curious, perhaps. Very curious, yeah, absolutely. They usually start off with a beautiful question. Do you mind if I ask you a personal question? Uh -huh. You know, <laughs> that's, that's the most yeah. common question I hear. Um, and, and then it's a discussion after that. And so that discussion is so important and that conversation is so important. And if we can get to that, then we can start to cl close some of these gaps and address some of these issues. And that's really the key, isn't it? To be able to meet one another at the human level. Right. Is your mosque open to people who might want to come and visit with you? And how might they do that? Yes, absolutely. We love to have visitors. Um, we host a, a number of, you know, groups and visitors and classes. Um, we have a wonderful, wonderful class that comes out from Camus High every year, mm. uh, between 100 and 150 students and chaperones. Um, and the best way to connect is just to go to the website, which is assaber.com, and you can fill out an inquiry there, and that inquiry will be um, forwarded to the hosts, and, and we'll take care of that. Friday prayers are a great time to go. Um, so 12.30 during the winter, 1.30 during the summer on Friday. Tell me the name again of your mosque, the Islamic Center of Portland in southwest Portland. Mm -hmm. Which is also called Masjid al-Sabr wonderful. Manara, thank you so much for, for being with me today and, and for sharing of yourself. I appreciate that. Thank you. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Religion for Life. For more information about the show or for links to podcasts, go to religionforlife.com. You can find podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podomatic, or any podcast app. Religion for Life is produced at KBOO Portland. Be well.